Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm Liz. I'm the Duchess. I'm Chad. I'm the Duke. And we are here in episode 58, where we will be talking about a new book, a new chapter, a new series, The Way of Kings by one Mr. Brandon Prolific. Sanderson. <laughs> now just listen, everyone. Listen to how nice and thick this book is. It, it's Did very, you hear it? It's very impressive. All 1,001 pages. We are the ASMR podcast. What's ASMR? It's like an audio stimulus thing. We have oh. so much background stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's straw noise, plastic crinkling. One time we had a snare drum. It didn't work out too well. Yeah, the snare drum didn't didn't go like we thought it did. But we are here here with an exciting new chapter. We're very, very excited to be back. And this is us coming back after a vacation, too. So we have took like three weeks off of podcasting. So we got to get our sea legs back underneath of us. It's, it's all kinds of cool, new, exciting stuff. I am really, really excited to hear what you thought of this book. I've been hoping to get you to read it for a long time, so I'm really stoked that we're doing it on the podcast. Why don't we talk about our spoiler policy? Well, you go ahead and talk about our spoiler policy. So on this podcast, generally the way we do things is Chad has not read the book yet, Mm -hmm. and I have. I've read all of Brandon Sanderson's stuff. I've read this series a few times, Chad is coming in completely unspoiled to all things Cosmere. Yes. So on this podcast, we really like for Chad to make predictions at the end. Yes. Some of them are spot on and some of them we just laugh. Wildly, wildly inaccurate. And those are the good ones. So we uh, we are not going to be spoiling anything past chapter five of The Way of Kings That's today. Correct. Yep. Next up, we're going to be discussing The Way of Kings chapters 6 through 11. Now, one thing that's really awesome about Brandon Sanderson is that all most of his books are connected in very subtle ways. He's got this whole fictional galaxy called the Cosmere. So his Mistborn trilogies and The Way of Kings and Elantris, they're all they have these subtle little easter eggs connecting them. We are going to be addressing some of those Easter eggs only insofar as they do not spoil The Way of Kings or any of the other books at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Because Agreed. Chad has not read them. Because I, I don't want to be spoiled. And it's so much fun to go through and discover these things. So hopefully sometime in the future, we'll be able to kind of really get down and dirty and get into some of those Easter eggs and the way that the books all tie together. But at this point, we're not going to be going too deeply into that stuff if it's going to spoil the way of Kings for Chad. Gotcha. A couple questions for you. Is Mistborn finished? So, yes, the Mistborn trilogy is complete. Okay. What Brandon Sanderson envisioned, and this is, it's so neat the way he planned it out because 
you know, he was inspired by some things that other writers had done where they connected their various works retroactively. He thought, wouldn't it be cool to have this sprawling story behind a story built from the ground up? So his plan for the Mistborn universe, which is set on the planet Scadriel, was to have the original trilogy. And then he wrote a second trilogy, which is the first trilogy was like medieval technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second trilogy is sort of a steampunk uh, vibe. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like Victorian technology. And he plans to write two more trilogies, one with like 1980s style Okay. Technology and the final. It's a lot of high top sneakers exa- and <laughs> exactly skateboards. Skateboards. Tab. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You got a little hand, little little Walkmans and boomboxes. I mean, on another planet though. Oh so well. Picture that. Got okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and I there's just mists know, everywhere, and people swallow metal. So I just want to know if I can have be... my fat fluorescent shoelaces for my high top sneakers. Absolutely. You never had the fat, wide shoelaces with the fluorescence? You know I was a nerd in the 80s. Do you have to rub it in every single time it well, comes Well, we have new listeners, and they need to know this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I interrupted you. That's another conceit of our podcast is that I interrupt you. <laughs> well, I was giving you an opportunity to make a so metal joke, but that's okay. Oh, you missed it. Damn. <laughs> It was going to be epic, but now it's not. Damn. (laughs) Anyway, the final trilogy, the fourth trilogy, is going to be a sci-fi trilogy. Four trilogies? On this one planet. However, each trilogy is completely self-contained. So you absolutely could read Mistborn, the trilogy, and the story is done of those characters. Okay, so two of the trilogies have already been written. Yes, the first two trilogies are completed. Okay. And both really good. All right, cool. Good to know. Hmm. Do you know how many books are in this particular series, planned for this series? I think it's 10. Whoa. So another thing we do in this podcast is we read unfinished series. (laughs) We could have chosen to read Mistborn, which at least... Two of the trilogies are completed, but no, that's that's not how we do things. We want to make things difficult. I don't know. When you look at the number of books that Brandon Sanderson has put out in the last 12 years, I'm not worried about running out of things to read by him. And the cool thing is, again, how these books all tie together in such subtle ways that there are things that I am just caught this is now the third time, fourth time I've read this series. There are still things I didn't catch wow, until okay. this time around. So it's really a fun world to keep exploring and keep coming back and finding new things that you missed the first time. That's pretty cool. All right. I want to get into the series proper. We've been recording for almost 10 minutes now. and We haven't actually started the podcast. There is one note I have to make, though. In the last couple of podcasts, we've been referencing that we were going to read the entirety of part one for this episode. We announced in social media and explained that once we started taking notes, we realized that that was not possible. I was drowning in world building. (laughs) Yeah. So unless we were going to have a four hour long Dan Carlin-esque podcast, 
that was just not going to work. So we made the decision to split part one into two. So I referenced this just because for those of us, for folks who are listening in order, I don't want you to get confused, particularly at later when the social media stuff won't be relevant. So we said we were going to do one thing. We lied. But we lied for a really good reason, so it's okay. Like your parents. They lie to you for really good reasons. <laughs> All right. We ready to do this thing? I'm ready. Are we ready to talk about, not the prelude, but the... Pre- the prelude. The prelude. You know it's a good book when it has a prelude and a prologue. And a prologue. And a quote at the beginning of every chapter. Well, you do you love the I quote. I love the quote at, at the, the beginning start of every of chapter. The chapter. There's there's plenty of them. I have no idea yet what the hell they all mean. And they oh, just wish I could tell you but it's also cool how it all works out. Mm. So, if you haven't listened to our previous podcast, I love charts. <laughs> and I love books that lend themselves to charts. And Brandon Sanderson It's a very charty book. It is a his work is the chartiest. I'm not, I can't even exaggerate. There's not, there's no one out there chartier no, than Brandon uh, yeah. Sanderson. There are literal charts in the back of the book. Ooh, I haven't, I haven't got to that thing. point yet. Ooh. I, a listener a few weeks ago, I think asked if I was going to be making charts and I, I started, but none are as good as Brandon Sanderson's actual charts. Well, you don't need to recreate the wheel. Exactly. You know, unless you really were born with a passion and drive to make and invent a wheel, but you were born in 2014. In which case, I feel really, really bad for you, son. We're getting off track. That's okay. All right, so a prelude. So the prelude starts in, I guess, what would be termed ancient times. Correct. I think it's like 4,000 or so years before the story proper. Will you give us a summary of what happens? Sure. So in the prelude, we have a character named Kalak. We should talk about pronunciation. Uh, we're, we're going to be terrible at pronunciation. Yeah. Give, give us a few episodes when all the corrections have come in from the folks who have listened to the audiobook, and then we'll you know start to pronounce things correctly. Yes. Listeners in the know who have either listened to the audiobook or interviews, feel free to come on and lambast us for saying the names in ridiculous ways. If you want us to stop saying it wrong, you have to tell us. Otherwise, how are we going to know? We can't read your mind. Hey, you know, J-E-A-N spells Jean. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not Jean. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, this guy, his name's Kalak. Okay. Kalak. 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 He's an ancient hero. He's an ancient hero. He's making his way through the remains of a great battle, and he's surprised that he survived. He meets up with Jezrian, who is king of the Heralds. The Heralds seem to be some kind of immortal beings who came to this planet, Roshar, during something called a desolation. In between desolations, the Heralds are in a place where they're tortured. It sounds pretty awful. There are ten of them all together. Jezreel and Kalak are two of them, and a third, Talonel, was the only one to die in the battle. Now, when the heralds die, we find that they get sent back to this torture zone. Jezreel tells Kalak that the other heralds have decided to abandon the Oath Pact and refuse to go back. 
They plan to lie to the people and tell them that they've won, and they leave behind their magic swords, and they separate, never to see each other again. Kalak feels hella bad about this, but not bad enough to volunteer to be tortured again. So that's what happens So in the prelude. So these guys' lives is to sort of be brought out to fight these huge cataclysmic battles. And then when they're not fighting the battles, they are tortured in hell. Pretty much. So to me, that sounds like being a bus driver in like Mississippi. (laughs) It's like 10 hours a day, I've got to drive this stupid fucking bus. (laughs) And then when I'm not driving the bus, I got to live in Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. Are we going to offend entire states now? You know, listen. We apologize, I, Mississippi. I've been to Mississippi. Don't write me. I've been. <laughs> Ain't shit to do. Listen, it's a Look, new series. We've already pissed off the Swedes. Chiropractors. And all of the chiropractors. It's a new series. I got to find a new target. Sorry, Mississippi. You know what? You drew the short straw. I don't know what to tell you. So would you rather be a Herald or a bus driver in Mississippi? Uh, I think Herald. <laughs> I mean, now, you know. So yeah, the Heralds have kind of a bum rap. They do, man. That's a shitty job. And it's all due to something called the Oath Pact, which we don't know what that is yet. So what was your impression at this point? Reading just It's just a couple of pages long. Right from the beginning... You know, we get this cool sort of, I love like the origin story, sort of like ancient, you know, things, ancient heroes and, and these things that you can build on. And we get something right from the beginning. And you always have to know that the first thing you read in any new series is going to be really, really important, right? So I read this prelude about three times and, and took you know, very detailed notes for every new word, every new name, jotted it down and kind of put it in my book uh, to pay attention to. But of course, at this point, you know, I don't know enough to really pull the information. The one thing I'll say is I'm taking this to be true, not like an unreliable narrator thing. I'm taking this to be like factually what happened. Right. So if there are like perversions of this down the road, I'm taking this to be the truth. I don't, I'm assuming that's the right way to go, but, uh, but that's that. And I want to ride a thunderclast. A thunderclast. They are some huge mofos. Yeah. Look pretty badass. Apparently they crawl right out of the stone. I mean, I don't want to be involved in that part of it, but... And just the name sounds like it belongs on like an ACDC album cover. <laughs> Thunderclast. There you go. Thunderclast. Yeah. We need to write a song about that. That You know what that song would be? So, so metal. metal. I didn't feel it. <laughs> I missed it. I had a really good one. Really good one. You know, I went to the Wawa today. Yeah. And they repaved the parking lot. And I got out of the car and I was overwhelmed by the smell of fresh asphalt. (laughs) And I thought of you. (laughs) You know, I laugh when you say asphalt. It's a good word. (laughs) 
You got to you got to bring new people in and give them the old jokes. All right. So So what do you think about the storytelling so far? The only other note I would I I, I hope I, I'm reserving my opinions for that until I get a little bit further into it. The one thing I'll note is that a lot of the fantasy that's kind of been in vogue recently and things that we've read, A Song of Ice and Fire, King Killer, relatively low on the actual fantasy scale, low magic and, you know, right off the bat, we get like some pretty, we're getting the hints. I'm getting the hints that this is not going to be low fantasy. Yeah, right off the bat, we have uh, human and non-human yeah, corpses lying around. Yeah, yeah, a lot of references about, you know, the blood was red and purple and orange and different, different, all kinds of different races. And there's magic swords being yeah, mentioned. Swords everywhere. Uh, magic users, obviously, they reference um, surge binders tearing up the rock with their powers. So, yeah, yeah these, obviously, a high magic. That, you know, s- they're like stone dragons that erupt from the mountains. And so, yeah, right from the beginning, I'm like, okay, this is not like, you know, this is not like a song of ice and fire, you know, where, where it mainly resembles our reality. I thought it was interesting too, that when he looks over at the survivors of the battle, many of them are in primitive clothes, wearing bronze with bronze spears. Yeah. And, you know, then the story proper happens 4,000 years later, and obviously technology and everything has evolved. I thought that was kind of cool. I think in a lot of fantasy stories, you see thousands of years pass and like nothing no, changes. Yeah. Everyone's still riding horses. They're yep. wearing the same kinds of clothes, same kinds of weapons. So I thought that was a neat little touch, very subtle. Yeah, that is. I, I appreciated that. So I feel like there's a lot of nuggets here but a lot of nuggets that we have to sort of file away. Yeah, there's a lot of information presented, but just as many questions raised. Uh, For me, it works. I I think it it doesn't feel like an exposition dump. Yeah. And the questions are interesting, but not... I certainly wouldn't expect them to be answered at this point. So, yeah, absolutely. So after the prelude, we have the prologue. Prologue. And this is where we begin to see these quotes at the beginning of the chapters. And they all seem to be taken from someone who is less than a minute away from death. Someone is going around and seems to be recording yeah. people's last words. I just have to wonder, are these going to be my last words? Like, like, I think it's going to be something like, I shouldn't have ate that Whopper. <laughs> like, which one of you is the good cop? Like something like that. Like I don't, you know, or, uh, you know, I don't, I don't feel like it would be this, uh, you know, grandiose, like, like what's the quote from this one? So yes, the quotes are all kind of grandiose sounding. Uh, This one says the love of men is a frigid thing, a mountain stream, only three steps from the ice. We are his. Oh, storm father. We are his. It is but a thousand days. The other ever storm comes. And then it'll go on to tell you, you know, subject was a dark-eyed pregnant woman of middle years. That kind of thing, who it was. So definitely a mystery there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mine's going to be like, don't forget to feed my cat, you know, or 
it's not gonna it's just not gonna be that you know ins- inspirational well, just hang in there let's see I mean, there's a reason the quotes are grandiose. Oh, so. okay, okay, all right. Oh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> all right, so tell us what happens in this prologue. So in the prologue, we meet Seth, who I'm just going to call Seth and not Seth because I feel like there's probably some special way I'm supposed to say. His name is spelled S-Z-E-T-H. I'm just going to call I, him Seth. I'm just saying, first chink in the armor. <laughs> all these string of consonant there's names. a lot of consonants man like in these names why i mean just throw a couple of extra apostrophes in it and we're, we're right, right back to robert jordan right you know what there is a reason that brandor sanderson brand brandor brandor <laughs> no no yes. we're gonna edit that out no, no we're not no <laughs> damn it we do not edit brandor is Brandon Sanderson's evil twin brother who got his face burned off. I hate you. One time when I was nine years old, I grabbed my brother's book and he shoved my face in the fire. God damn it. He's going to start writing short stories to like and have a vicious short story contest. Get hype, get hype, get hype. <laughs> Brandor! So metal. Okay, hold on. Whenever you're ready. I need my Capri Sun. <laughs> oh, I forget what I was saying. You gonna sing for me, little bird? <laughs> I will eat all the chicken in this damn house. Oh, God. All right. I turn off the hound. (laughs) That's hard to do. Once you go hound, you're not going back. I can't. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Oh. Brandor Sanderson. What was I even saying about him? Uh, just start over. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. We were talking about names with too many consonants, <sighs> and I don't think we made it any farther than that. So, hey, listen, so, we don't edit. Could so we start, deal with it? <laughs> could we start? No, no. All right. Who? So there's this guy, Seth. He's an assassin. He was hired by the Parshendi to kill King Gavilar of the Alethi at a feast. I think it's Galavar. Is it Galavar? Gavilar. It's Gavilar. Gavilar. That's just unwieldy, but okay. Gavilar. Thankfully, he doesn't last for long, (laughs) so I'll, you know, I'll go with it. The feast is celebrating a peace treaty between the two peoples, which I'm pretty sure is irony. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) I always get that confused. So there's an absolutely smashing action sequence wherein Seth accomplishes his goal, running on the ceiling, running along the walls. And we learn quite a bit about the magic system of this world because Seth is obviously a magic user. He's also a shard bearer, which means he has a magic sword. And this is not this 
is not common, but it's not unheard of in Roshar. Apparently, being a magic user is now very unusual. He is able to channel energy called Stormlight, which in Roshar is carried around in glass spheres. We'll get more into that later. So Seth kills Gavilar, and with his last breath, he tries to protect a strange glass sphere that glows with black light, and he passes a message on to his brother. Tell my brother he must find the most important words a man can say. Seth honors his wishes and then gets the fuck out of there. End of prologue. This was a highly functional piece of writing that still managed to be entertaining. Right? I mean, Brandon Sanderson is one of the few writers who can write an action sequence that I do not skim. Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. I'm not always a huge fan of the fight scenes. You know, when it starts to get into the blow, the blow, and he parried low, and I, uh, you know what, I don't care. Right. Tell me who wins. This is not the WWE. Like, right. I, you know, like, there's no China. If there was, maybe I'd care. It's true. So, but this uh, this is interesting. I mean, while I'm reading it, I can sort of, like, I can sort of tell that it's kind of functional. It's like, okay, we're going to go through. But I don't, I don't really care, you know. I feel like other authors would have not been able to convey as much information while also being entertaining. Well, it's true. And I think Seth's emotional struggle during the fighting Mm kind of draws you into it as well. Yeah. You know, Seth is an unwilling assassin. He's been told to assassinate this king and to be seen doing it and make it as brutal as possible. But he's obviously very tormented about these orders. He doesn't actually want to be doing this. So you've got that piece of it, the emotional piece. You've also at the same time got all this information coming at you as Seth is wielding this magic. It's the narrator is explaining to you exactly how he's doing what he's doing. And Brandon Sanderson, his ability to craft these magical systems and make them so logical and well thought out is just unparalleled. Well, and I know that's always been a a thing that you particularly enjoy. So I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised that Brandon Sanderson's one of your favorite authors because he does do a good job. Things are interesting. The magic system is interesting, clearly laid out. And even here from the beginning, you know, you really get a sense of how it works. And one of the things I like about it is it's sort of, it's a lot less ambiguous. I mean, so far anyway, it's a lot less ambiguous than you get in other magic systems where that gives an author a chance to just deus ex machina himself out of any, his or herself out of Mm -hmm. any, corner by just sort of twisting things you know not that other writing that doesn't spell that stuff out isn't good writing don't get me wrong i love a song of ice and fire it's my favorite fantasy series and george r R. martin does not do that he's very you know he wants to keep it ambiguous it doesn't detract from the story but i was also very impressed with the amount of world building that's in this prologue, not just on the magic side, but we find out who the Parshendi are. We find out who the Parshmen are. We find out about this war between them. We find out all about the King's family. We find out about shard plate. We find out about shard swords. We find out about 
the storms. We find, I mean, we find out about spren, the concept of spren. Like there's so dark eyes, light eyes. There's so much information that's given in this without me feeling like I'm being preached at. And now I'm preaching at you to tell you how good it is. But yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting and well thought out world. And it is all kind of told in the context just of Seth walking down a hall through a feast, down a hall, killing some guards, killing the king. I mean, basically, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting as I'm going through this section and, and taking notes on the plot, it's it's kind of like, well, not much happened, but really a lot did happen. Yeah, the one thing I liked about this character as well is that, you know, he's called the truth, the truthless and it it says that he is able to take any life that he sees fit except for his own. You know, so like the one rule that he has to abide by as assassin is he cannot kill himself. But it shows you the degree to which they're tortured by what they do. Yeah, so Seth is the truth is a truthless of Shinovar, mm-hmm. and he's obviously got some kind of curse laid on him. Yeah, and we also find out in this chapter that his punishment, so he's truthless. He's it's, he's being punished for something, has something to do with the existence or not of something called a void bringer. I missed that. That okay. was a very just kind of a throwaway sentence, but it was in there. He says something about void bringers, and then he said his own punishment. Um, was because of their non-existence or existence. Mm, okay. Yeah, I completely missed that. I do remember Void Bringers being brought up, I think it's in chapter four, and that was the first I noticed a reference to them. So, okay, interesting. The other thing is, tell me if I got this right. Did I read correctly that he has black skin marbled through with colors of red? So that is the parchment. Oh, the parchment. And the parshendi have marbled black, white, and red skin. So he, but he is a parshendi. He is not a parshendi. His, ma- he is a, from Shinovar, so he's a shin. Ah. He has round eyes and a bald head. And I think pale skin, but okay, that clears, his masters are the parshendi. That clears something up to me because... When he's standing over uh, Gavilar before Gavilar dies, and he's like, who sent you? I'm like, dude, you, he's black with red marbled skin. You know who sent him. I'm like, I think you're playing the whole I don't see color card a little too literally. <laughs> but no, okay, so I misunderstood. He's a... I thought maybe... I okay. can see why you'd think gotcha. that, because he talks about his masters, the Parshendi, and wearing white to assassinate was their tradition that he's following. Well, it's I don't really know the layout of this place, so when he's a Parshendi and he's from Shinovar, I'm like, okay, well, apparently the Parshendi are from Shinovar. I don't... I you know, see, yes. It doesn't cross my mind that, you know, he could maybe be, you know, somebody who's a Shin, but working for the Parshendi, didn't cross my mind. Okay, that helps, because I was a little, th- that was one thing that, that kind of stuck in my craw, was I was like, I don't I don't buy that he wouldn't know he was Parshendi. Right. But it makes, that makes more sense to me now. Okay. So we learn a little bit, too, about the 
so Alethkar is the kingdom that they're in. Mm-hmm. And the Alethi social structure is kind of interesting. It's based on eye color. So if you are, if you so, have. So merit. Well, <laughs> so yeah. It's a, it's a meritocracy. Uh, because obviously the more worthy people are going to be born with light eyes. I Clearly. Guess. Hello. So, so in our, in our house, then you would be a bright eye and I would be a dark eye and we would, you know, we would be really like messing with the social norms. Yeah, we would be forbidden love. Oof. So what did you think about the, the whole concept of Spren, the little spirits that are running around? So that's an, that's another area that is a little bit confusing to me. And I have to kind of wonder what the impact of it is. And I'm watching because it is my nature to watch for these things and to be somewhat cynical. I'm watching to see whether or not he's going to be consistent with it because I'm going through it. I'm like, what the hell are spren, you know? And I think the first one we get is uh, fear spren, I think is the first one that pops mm-hmm. up. And I'm like, okay, so this is something that manifests when there are strong emotions. Okay. So does that mean everyone can tell if you're having strong emotions, so if somebody's like extraordinarily nervous and has to lie, or does that mean people are going to be able to see it? Can only, And then I thought, well, maybe you can only see, I was thinking maybe you can only see like your own. And then I realized, no, he's seeing the guard's fear. And then I realized later that we have flame spren. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so now there's also like this elemental thing to it as well. And also music spren happen in this channel, this chapter as well. Oh, I didn't catch that. At the party, probably? Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, so now I'm thinking, okay, can only certain people see it? Like... Is there some unifying theory behind it? Is it going to be consistent or is it just completely random? So, so I haven't figured that out yet. Oh, there's a system. Mm-hmm. I can tell by the look on your face. <laughs> I'm trying not to ruin stuff. I'm just, I'm too excited. I'm too excited. All right, I'll put my poker face back on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. All right, Lady Gaga. <laughs> so we also get a little bit about who the royal family are. There's uh, Elicar, who is the king's heir, who I guess is going to be the king. And we also get the name Jasna Colon, or Jasna, I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. I think Jasna. Jasna, okay. And that name comes back around later. Yes, so it does. So we have to pay attention to that. We also get a brief mention of the what seems the predominant religion, of Alethkar. It's called Voranism. Uh, they worship the heralds and they talk a lot about the legendary win over the Voidbringers that we know from the prelude was not such a win. Yeah, and the ten heralds obviously are the ten people that were referenced in the prelude. Correct. We also noticed that there are statues of each of the heralds, but one is missing in the castle. We Which, don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Well, one is, I'm assuming, it has to do with the one who stayed behind. Well, the one that they said, the statue the that different. he noticed yeah. is missing is different, so we don't know. Well, the names are different, which I'm assuming is just the passage of time and how things get perverted and changed over time. That's the way I looked at it anyway. 
So the other thing we learn is that shard blades don't kill people. Oh, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Shard blades don't kill people. Seth kills people. <laughs> so he is big. So what did you think of that? I, I thought think it was he's a really... very, very big on the Second Amendment. He is firmly in the NRA's pocket. Don't let our 13-year-old hear you say that. <laughs> She's very anti the NRA right now. Well, you know, we all have our things. Okay. That's as political as we have ever gotten on this podcast. God, we are, we are it, towing the line, And it's baby. the most political we will ever get. So Towing the line. So what did you think of that? I thought it was such, I think it's such a cool twist on the magic sword. It is a cool twist on the magic sword. I was like, okay, cool. This is how magic swords work. Tell me more about the world building. Because that's, that's what I'm interested in. I liked how when the king is dying, he gives me a laundry list of names right. to watch out for. He's like... Tell Theta Car, cool name by the way. Tell Theta Car he's too late. The guy's like, um, Dave's not here, man. <laughs> and then he says, uh, if not him, then Restaurus, Sadius. And then he's shocked when he, he explains, no, he's Parshendi. So I'm like, okay, check Theta Car, check Restaurus, check Sadius. Make sure when these guys' names pop up, and I am rewarded. Because one of them pops up in the next chapter. Sadius, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. I take notes. One of the advantages of being as slow a reader as I am is that I can sometimes catch these things first pass. You are a very observant reader. Not always. Not always. It's one of your more attractive qualities. Thank you. I appreciate that. We ready to move on to chapter one? Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about this too damn long. Chapter one is called Storm Blessed. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's blessed. I guess it's a blessing. Well, the chapter's not the blessing. It's the oh, character. Okay. All right, okay. So were you not a fan of this chapter? Oh, no, I was a fan of the chapter. Because we get three chapters in this whole section with Kaladin. And, I mean, the guy... You know, in these three chapters, this poor son of a bitch gets put through the ringer. But we really needed to see him kind of in his, quote, you know, natural state, really see him in the game to understand who he was. Because if we had first encountered him as a slave, you know, it really just wouldn't have held the same weight. Yeah, there's... It's a nice narrative trick that we see him in his glory as a squad leader, and then it jumps, and we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but the next chapter jumps forward eight months. Somehow he's been made a slave. We don't know why, but the contrast is very striking. Yeah. And we definitely kind of feel the shock of it. Yeah. But in this chapter, we see, we basically witness a battle through the eyes of a 15-year-old boy who I'm going to call Ken, although I've been told in the audiobook it's pronounced Sen. It's definitely Sen. Really? Yeah. The soft C? You don't oh, go yeah. for the Celtic? No. Hard C? No, this is Sen. Listen, when I was much younger, I had a hard raised. C, but as I've gotten into my 40s... <laughs> You know what? That's perfectly natural. <laughs> it's a lot softer. <laughs> well, I prefer the hard C, so I'm going to go for... When I was 24, Ken. I would have said Ken. <laughs> yeah, 
you know. But I found out that you can do a lot with Sen. Doesn't. Let's just leave it there. We have an explicit tag. We can do this if we want to. Are you finishing your Capri Sun? Anything to get out of this conversation? Non-committally. <laughs> finishing my Capri Sun. So Ken. <laughs> yes, Ken. He's in the middle of his first battle. And it's not looking too good for him. He's pretty sure he's going to die. Luckily, he has been transferred last minute to the squad of Kaladin Stormblust. Mm -hmm. Apparently. You mean Saladin? <laughs> Soft K. Soft K. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh Lordy. That joke was not worth the amount of laughter it received. I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> Hit me in the right spot. All right. The, see, and that's the trick with the soft <laughs> K. So you just have to put it in the right spot. I'm going to start throwing shit at you if you don't stop it. <laughs> uh, so Ken and Kaladin. Ken's in the middle of a, a battle. They are fighting for a bright lord named Amaram in the middle of some sort of minor border dispute. It's a Lethe versus a Lethe. That's right. Kaladin and his squad um, survived the battle through training, discipline, and the fighting prowess of their squad leader and, and some luck. They're all hoping to get eventually to the Shattered Plains where the real king's army is fighting to avenge Gavilar's murder. So in the midst of this battle, the chapter pretty much ends with Kaladin taking down a Bright Lord in armor and a shard bearer arriving on the field of battle, indicating that they're probably all doomed. So we, we see a shard bearer in action. Yeah, it ends That's kind it. of on That's that kind of where it cuts off. Yeah, right. yeah. So we're introduced to um, Kaladin, who, in case you couldn't tell, is probably one of the main characters. You can probably tell he's going to be a big deal because he gets a nickname. Yeah. Only yeah, the main characters get a nickname. So apparently you had another nickname in college. It was not Storm Blessed. It was not Storm Blessed that I don't know about. I'll have to tease that out of you. You know what's scary? What's that? I don't know it either. <laughs> you, you forgot. Do I want to? Probably not. <laughs> Any right, of so our college friends are listening. Just please let me live in ignorance. It's not a bad way to go. I don't want to know. So this is some sort of border dispute. And the land, so the greater area, the greater land, is owned by High Prince Sidious. Yes. We did not have to wait very long. No, we did not. So I suspect that this knucklehead was engaged in, or at least suspected of being engaged, in some sort of plot against the crown. And I tend to think, the motherfuckers don't change, so he's still a traitorous bastard. I mean, it's only been five years right? since that happened. And so. I've never met the guy, so, you know. You can just tell he's kind of a schmuck already, Ex exactly. though, right? I'm a, listen, only God can judge him and me, <laughs> the reader. So what did you think overall of what we learned in this chapter? The characters, the world building... 
any impressions? So I learned that if you're going to fight with a spear, you have to tie two knife sheaths to your spear handle. That's pretty clever. And again... I think it's a terrible idea, action actually. Action sequences. Man, it but it's one action sequence after another. Mm-hmm. Like this book opens up with a lot of action sequences. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not complaining. I'm just stating fact. Well, it's a dramatic change from other books that we've read it is yeah so the other thing i'm wondering here and it's not clear because we just haven't been in the world long enough is is what's going on here five years after the old king died is this like the result of like is there still kind of a a mild civil war going on or is this just kind of the nature of this political system that it's feudal and people constantly have these kind of minor skirmishes not really clear yet so that was just a kind of a question that i had so we'll have to figure that out uh and that's, yeah i mean i think it's made clear that the main army is unified and out in some place called the shattered plains chasing the parshendi yeah which to is avenge where the, the king's murder which is where the king is so the so this is a minor, you know, thing that's... A skirmish, a minor kind of skirmish. Which makes you wonder why some knucklehead shows up with a shard blade. Especially because it seems obvious that shard blades and shard plate are not something that just all the nobles have. No, not at all. In fact, early in the chapter when Sen is asking, he asks about it specifically you know, Dalit and the others are like, no, like, there won't be a guy here with a shard blade. Famous last words. As soon as we get back, we'll talk about your mother. Like, right. you know, <laughs> you don't say that, oh, nobody's going to show up with a shard blade unless somebody does. Right. So there's something weird about that. Of course, we don't really know at this point why that would be. So we find out a lot about Kaladin in a short period of time as well. But the main thing that comes across about his personality is that he's loyal to his men and he seems to have a beef against the nobility. Yeah. And I would say the other thing is that he's not only clever, but he he's thinking about things kind of independently on his own. He's not like he's not a blessed and gifted and talented tactician because he's the son of a tactician he he just is able to look at what's going on and independently sort of think of these things and come up with ways to do these things well he's got some he's just got some natural talent uh, for this that other people around him don't seem to have so he's just he's gifted here or blessed Right, so when the battle starts, and being able to see this through the eyes of Sen, we kind of get an outsider's perspective, and and things are explained to him, so they're explained to us. Yeah. But what they're supposed to do is stay in this line and march forward in this formation. They're all spearmen. What they do instead is Kaladin and Dalit, his second-in-command, scout out uh, a safe spot, and their squad just books it for this safe spot and forms like a like a turtle formation so that mm-hmm. they can protect themselves. It's not even about the army or what they're trying to accomplish at all. And Dalit explains to Sen that that nobody's going to stay in formation. These are poorly trained soldiers. It's going to be a 
a melee. We're just going to go and keep ourselves safe. And so that's what they do. And it isn't until the end of the battle when they kind of split off. Kaladin has to kind of come in and save Sen. They see this bright lord and Kaladin decides to take him down because what also seems obvious is that he has a beef for one bright eyes in particular. We don't know why. He yeah, says this all. might be the one. Yeah. So we also know that he has a habit of trying to rescue young boys who are sent to the army too early. Dalit tells Sen that he thinks you all remind him of someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right there, we have a, a pretty complex character kind of yeah, just... already built, yeah. ...just thrown out there. Absolutely. And it's a drastic change going into chapter two, which is called Honor is Dead. It's We're told that it's eight months later. And so, again, we go from Kaladin taking down a fully armored knight with a spear... Yeah. Mm -hmm. To him being locked in a cage, having been branded a slave. We don't know why that happened yet. Yeah, a pretty significant twist of fate there. I mean, we we end chapter one on this cliffhanger, as we said, of this shard bear. So we suspect there's a chance that something negative might happen. And this appears to be the negative that happens. Yes. And we find out pretty quickly that Kaladin has tried to escape... 10 times from five different masters and that all of them have been unsuccessful, obviously, because he's in a cage. He seems to be a completely different character than the one we just met. He's really beaten down and hopeless. Um, He's not trying to talk to the other slaves who want to engage him. He doesn't even want to escape anymore. We do find out right away that Sen and Dalit are both dead as well as a whole list of others. He's going through this constant list of people that that he's failed and who have died. You know, Tooks and the Takers, Tien, uh, there's an unnamed young girl with pale skin, and he just kind of goes on. And at all this time, he's being followed by a windspren, which is odd because windspren um, are generally flighty. They might stop and play tricks on people, but they generally just blow around. And um, she starts to talk to him and even knows his name which is unusual. Kaladin tries also to, at the end, to speak up for a sick fellow slave. It seems he has some sort of medical training and he tries to intervene when the slaver is going to kill him and and tell him that all he needs is extra water and he'll be okay, but the slaver ignores him. He's probably cranky because his name doesn't have enough vowels either. Yeah, right? (laughs) The slaver's improbable name is Tvlakov. 14 letters, one say A. That a say that a couple of times. Tavlakov. Yeah, that's crazy. It's Kazakhstan. Tavlakov is, um, I, I just call him Thufir because. Because <laughs> of the eyebrows. Because of the eyebrows. He's a Thalen and He's they a have Thalen. massive eyebrows. The red stained lips of Thalok, <laughs> the slaver. Drinks the juice of Safu. <laughs> You went right there with me. Of course I did. <laughs> well, Thufir is easier, so. Yeah, you don't fuck around with Dune. Mm, no. Not in my presence. Mm-mm. So th- that's the new character that we're introduced to in this chapter. And he's got a couple of, of helpers, Bluth and Tag or whatever, faceless mercenary types. Yeah, thug one, thug two. But it's kind of a short chapter. I don't know. Do you have any impressions? So I thought the Spren thing was interesting because, again, I- I'm just trying to figure out what Spren are. I'm, you know, 
figuring out if it's going to be consistent. What what the hell's going on with these things? And then one of them becomes anthropomorphic. So I'm like, oh, 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 oh there's a whole nother freaking angle to this, right? And then it says his name, and I'm like, okay, now it's a part of some greater like, you know, intelligence or some metaphysical phenomenon that's going on, but that's you know, directed by something like, you know, is this a, some sort of weird manifestation of, you know, of God or something, not of, I don't think God himself, but like, where the hell does this thing know, you know, or I, I don't know, like, it's definitely taking this a very different direction. And the other thing I'm, I'm thinking is he doesn't seem very lucky. <laughs> right. You know, he's like, they, they called me storm blessed, but I don't. I don't feel very blessed right now. Like he's nineteen and his voice is still cracking in my head. <laughs> so, well, and he's definitely uh, at this point sees himself as cursed. I think. So I think that's a deliberate. Um, yeah, and I think we'll figure out more about the dead young girl in particular with blood on his hand. His hands. I, I, f- hmm. I have a prediction about that. Cool. So we also learn a little bit about the unique landscape of Roshar in this chapter. A, we find out they have more than one moon. So that just kind of gives a a little subtle alien landscape. And also the grass is described as drawing itself into the ground as the wagons pass. And that it's evolved that way because of the, the high storms that happen on this planet. So there are these apparently regular seasons of extremely serious storms, so much so that the very landscape has evolved to be all creatures that are protected from it. The creatures pulling their wagons are giant crabs, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all, it's all crustaceans. And the, the plants themselves are in like hard polyps or, again, can, can withdraw into rock or the ground when the high storms come by. And I just think it's so interesting. Yeah. And this is an area called the unclaimed Hills and it's an unsettled area. It's a dangerous area and the storms are stronger here. And I'm thinking, you know, those two things seem obviously to be connected, you know, why the storms are stronger here. I have no idea, you know, but that's probably the reason this land where people are fighting over land that's the reason why this area is unsettled is because of the storms, it seems, you know. So I'm just waiting for the Fremen to pop up. <laughs> there is one thing about the last chapter that I I did recall, and that was, and it's just a little quick thing, but the fact that there's this massive army fighting in the Shattered Plains, and that's the the emphasis and the point of the spear and where all the war is going on, and yet... In these border skirmishes, they're large enough for these far away from the main conflict, for these really fairly large-scale battles, gives me just kind of a sense of what the size of these kingdoms are. And it seems like they're pretty damn big. Yeah, it's a big world. You know, this is not like the British Isles in the year 500 AD where... You know, if you had 5,000 soldiers, that was a massive army. You know, you were you were the biggest boy on the block 
and for many, many, many blocks around you, you know, it seems like these these are really largely established kingdoms and cities with pretty pretty big populations. Yeah. So anything else for chapter two? Nope. Chapter three is called City of Bells. And we've got a page of artwork that comes in front of this. And I believe someone on our Facebook page posted a link where you could get a better look at the artwork. I think it was Theo. I I think Theo put that in in there. Spoiler thread. So I didn't dig into it, but I did see the image. But we can also maybe put that um, on that link on the website as well. Yeah, we should do that. Um, I think of the books we've read so far, having a hard copy of way of Kings is really nice because of some of the artwork. Well, and the map too. The one thing I, one of the things I did do when I was taking notes is I went out and I found a high res JPEG of the map because there's just so many areas reference. I had to be careful, obviously not to find anything spoilery, but I've gotten pretty good at learning how to do that. But yeah, I, I felt like, I felt like it was needed. The map is helpful and there's always a really good glossary at the end of all of Brandon Sanderson's books as well. It's like laying out the magic system, laying out a lot of the different things. So that's always helpful. But there's a a page of artwork at the beginning of this chapter, and we're introduced to a new character who is an artist. And so this is something that she's drawn in her sketchbook. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, Um, it is. We meet Shalon. All right, is that how you say it? That's how we're saying it. That's how you say it, okay. How are you saying it? Shallon? No, Shallon. I'm just being being difficult just to Shallon. do it. Shallon. No, Shallon. It has to be. I'm going to kick something if it's not. Shallon, my gallon. <laughs> Shallon. Um, so she's a sh- like the sheltered young woman from a kingdom called Yakaved. And she's been traveling to the city of Carbaranth. And searching for Jasna Colon, who, as we know, is the the sister of the king. Mm-hmm. She's the daughter of Gavilar, who we saw get assassinated and a heretic. in the prologue. And she's a heretic, a dang heretic. Shalan has petitioned Jasna to be her ward, and she has been hopping from city to city for the last six months to try and catch up with her. Um, she's kind of in a desperate place because her father is dead. This is ja- this is um, Shalon now, whose father is also dead. Um, but nobody outside of her family knows it. And her house is like teetering on financial collapse. And her wardship to Jasna is part of a plan to restore their fortune. So pretty much all that it's interesting in this chapter, particularly all that really happens is Shalon goes from the boat to the palace. Yeah. Oh yeah. She literally just gets in a carriage, but all the while she's, you know, looking around her and, and her inner monologue and it doesn't seem boring. Like, no, this is the opposite of a Glenn cook book, which I don't know if you've read any Glenn cook. No, I haven't. Glenn cook is the absolute opposite. It within a page, 47 things have happened, but there's no exposition. This one, nothing happens, but we get a lot of exposition. But I don't feel like there are definitely series I've read where I get really frustrated with lots of descriptions of cities and buildings and what different people are wearing. Um, I don't feel that way in this book. I don't know if it's just because the world is interesting enough. And it's interesting, too, because I Shalon is an artist 
And so I've noticed that in her chapters, there are more descriptions of like color palettes and the way things look that aren't in other point of view chapters. That's a good good pickup. It feels more consistent with her character. That's good. Like she would actually notice that. You know, if you're reading a book where some, some like adventurer dude is walking along and like noticing the what color laces on different women's dresses you're like why why would he even notice that or what maybe he's got like a lace fetish okay you know maybe what he's a that was sexist of me i'm sorry and it's okay if he is I, no i get we your point. accept we accept all lifestyles all lifestyle choices we have no problem with that but you know what i'm saying i do it yeah. feels consistent with her character to have that those kind of things be noticed yeah the other thing i noted here is that we we have to agree there is a bias in fantasy towards redheads come on oh yeah now so look look listen there's a redhead problem the first time i read this book here's my confession i read it kind of quickly because that's how i tend to read and i think this book does not lend itself well to reading quickly because if you just kind of breeze through it the first thing I think is, oh, of course, we've got this this Gary Stew, uh, you know, storm-blessed bridge leader, every, the squad leader, mm-hmm. and now we've got the spunky, sassy redhead chick, and blah, blah, blah. I've read the story a million times. Yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> when you read it more slowly, you see how much more there is under the surface. But yes, on the outset, it's like, okay, sassy redhead. And she is literally another redhead sassy princess. Redhead. Yeah. Like here's our here's our low low born messiah over here. Yes. And here's our sassy redheaded princess. Okay. Let's see where this goes. But do hang in there, readers. Hang in there and see where it goes. But listen, redhead bias. Let's I mean I'm not gonna complain she hasn't cussed anybody out yet so let's let's see where it goes but i'm watching I'm watching you brandon sanderson brandor brandor <laughs> better watch out brandor who so here's the other thing that i noted in this chapter sky eels right that's fucking terrifying <laughs> they okay. only eat mice so like i've seen eels up close and they're creatures of horror, like Billy Bob Thornton. They're <laughs> like, they exist in the uncanny valley. Like, they're creepy. Like, they are pretty creepy. They're not quite fish. They're not quite snakes. Their heads look weird. Eel- yeah, so imagine those suckers floating through the air at you. Eels are terrifying. Now, the drawing looks more like a moray eel than it does like an American eel. So that actually makes me slightly less wigged out by them because our eels are creepy as fuck. Yeah, we do have the worst kind of eels. We absolutely do. But they're delicious. We weren't going to talk about politics. Exactly. Eels are yummy. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. So we also meet a couple other characters in this. um, Toesbeck, another Thalen. So we find out, too, that the lack of vowels is kind of a Thalen thing. Ah, it's mentioned. Good. That's somebody I can hate. His wife is named Ashlove. Literally. <laughs> That's the name. A S H L V Ashlove. That's bullshit. I'm not, I will not stand for this. 
It's goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying I hope all their cities get sacked. The, <laughs> they salt the earth. Thalens and their stupid eyebrows and their no vowels. Lack However, goddamn vowels. We also get Yalb, which is my favorite name of the book so far. He's my favorite character of the book so far. He's a pretty awesome character. Yeah. So Yalb is the sailor who uh, escorts Shalon to the castle, and yes, he's very entertaining. Yeah, so so far, my favorite characters in the book are the guy running the slave wagon and the sailor who hits on her. Like, those are my favorite. <laughs> it's a block of? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that fear. says about me, but it's not looking good. <laughs> so let's talk about Carbranth. It's the new city that's been introduced. It's called the City of Bells. I just think it's cool how, once again, we see the influence of the high storms on how the city was built. Yeah, because it's built sort of within like these de- depressions kind of in the rocky formation. Uh, you know, So it's, it's on the water, but it sort of has these sort of natural barriers that, uh, that protect it from the storms and then that's allowed it to grow as a city, which I did not catch on the first read through. I, it was the second read through that I was like, Oh, I, I just didn't pick it up the first time around. Um, but reading back through it to take notes is when I picked that up. But I just thought it was cool. I just thought the city was cool in general. Like he does kind of does a good job of giving you the feeling of arriving in a strange new city, you know, getting off of a boat into a big city for the first time. It sort of reminds me of like when like we went to Munich and like I walked into Munich for the first time. It was the first time I'd been in like a foreign city outside of of the United States. And I was just like, I just stood there and looked around, you know, for a while. Yeah. And, you know, other authors that we've read, I feel like I get tired of descriptions of buildings because I don't see the point in why. Are we describing this building? It's very similar to the building we just described last chapter. But there's kind of a point in in this description because um, there's a reason that this city is built this way and it has to do with these high storms and it has to do with which affects how the people are. There's I, I find greater it, significance. I find it very different from what you see in other books, even... You know, even my beloved George R. R. Martin, where he might talk, you know, f- he might spend three paragraphs talking about the crenellations and the inner wall and the outer wall and the different, you know, this ring of wall is this and blah, blah, blah. And it was built with this kind of, which is okay if that matters somehow to the plot. But there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't know that it does. I don't find him digging in to the weeds that much with the description it's like a lot of the a lot of the buildings had a you know a there was a color scheme and the buildings of this type were painted that way and i saw this people with this skin color and i saw people with this color of hair and i so it wasn't like taking one specific thing and spending two pages breaking it down in excruciating detail it's just kind of giving you the sense of what she's taking in as she arrives in the city and walks around. So to me, it feels very different in terms of how it's executed. I agree. And, um, and we also learn a bit more about gender roles in Alcar. I don't know. What was your take on that? 
So here we find that men don't read. I haven't figured out what to think about that yet, other than it sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> like, Not only do they not read, they don't do math, they don't study logic or history or art or music. All of the scholarly pursuits are considered feminine pastimes. So that sounds like my high school in ninth grade. <laughs> right. What are you doing there, Dukes? Are you reading a book? You like some kind of queer? <laughs> right? Yeah. So at, at the same time, we have... Um, look, look at him. He's painting like some kind of faggot. That's pretty much what my... I mean, go go on. I'll get over it eventually. <laughs> so there was one thing I noted, and, and I feel like it may have come up in a different area as well, but this is the first time that I kind of realized it. And, and that was that the Parshman, somehow related to the Parshendi, are dumb, hardworking slaves. Yes, so there is a difference between the Parshman and the Parshendi. Yeah, and they're dark-skinned. With red model. They're dark and red modeled skin. So they're black slaves. So some of them are described as having white with red modeled skin. Okay, all right. So, so it's not But definitely a very distinctive skin color from um, most people in on Roshar are there are more dark colored people than light colored people. Okay. It's very interesting because when you read interviews with Brandon Sanderson about the different races, he says, you know, yes, most of the people he has pictured um, have either like, like an Asian or Arabic coloring or darker, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't look exactly like you pictured. Yeah, it's, it's because in his mind, the races, they're, they're new races, you know. It's interesting that he's taking that sort of tack. It's, it's very divergent from most of the other fantasy I've read where it's nothing but white people as far as the eye can see, you know. And if you want some diversity, we'll give you some elves. Like, not that there isn't some newer fantasy that doesn't, you know, uh, break that mold, and I'm glad for it. But he's really, like, he has these, they're essentially humans, but they, they're they not like humans that we have. They don't look like us. Right, and Brandon Sanderson has been very clear that none of his Cosmere worlds are Earth substitutes or anything like Earth. It's always been, you know, meant to be very different. The money thing was another one that I noted. They they get into talking about the spheres here. And the only thing I could think after she described it was, did she have an entire wheelbarrow filled with these things when she got on the boat? Because, you know, like to pay for anything is like a handful of freaking marbles. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I know that there are different denominations of them. I get that. But, but I don't know. It just seems like you would have to carry around you know, a giant freaking chest to go buy anything expensive. Well, that that's just the thing. Like you said, there are different denominations. So if you're 
paying for something with a handful of pennies, yes, it would seem like, like, wow, you'd have to carry a lot of those around. But most people don't carry a whole lot of pennies. It's like having change. So the spheres are all about the same size, but it's all about the size of the gemstone inside. Yeah. Um, so if you're carrying around a bunch of emerald bromes, which is the largest denomination where you've got these big chunks of emerald because they can be used to make food, you don't have to carry as many. But it's just a, that's a neat way of showing us how their how their money system works. And also mentioning again, these, ge- the gemstones and spheres the that are also light. used, the yeah. stormlight, um, that's kind of the main thing on this planet. And we also get a little bit into the, the hmm. Alethi. Oh, you have a thought. So we have these spheres that have the gems inside of them. People use them in magical ways. They use them for lighting. But when Seth, what Seth was doing seems to be something that almost nobody knows about. Is that accurate? Yes. It's not that they don't use Stormlight in gems for magic. It's that they don't know how to use it like he does. Right. And so, but if you think ahead to, we covered the next chapter, right? Yeah, yeah. Chapter five. So the next chapter where we see Jasna use a Fabriel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the extent of what. So that's the high, the high it. art of yes. magic in there. I mean, it's pretty cool. We, but we'll get more into that later. But we know okay. that, yeah, they can, using these fabrials, turn gemstones into food, that they also use them for money and for light. And we also see, which I think is kind of an interesting commentary, how the Alethi women cover their left hand. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I just think it's an interesting comment on modesty. Why he's like, you know, let's just pick this random body part that these people have decided is, you know, obscene to be viewed in public. And it's their uh, women's uh, left hand. Yeah. It's like somehow like become a sexual thing. And they either have to wear a glove if they're lower (laughs) status and need to work. But the the naked flesh of your left hand but the uh, the higher class women actually wear a long sleeve that is buttoned up at the bottom. You you know that the king has nothing but women lined up giving him left-handed hand jobs. <laughs> left-handed hand jobs. You know the that's left go- hand gives the best hand you jobs. You know how that's you know that's going on. Anyway, I thought it was a kind of a clever commentary on modesty and how we, you know, sometimes arbitrarily decide that some things are immodest or not, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The other, uh, a couple of other references for world building. She talks about a book that, you know, references the history of Cara Branth, and she says it was founded in the shadow days, years before the last desolation, before the terrors of the hierocracy, and the recreants. And there's a reference in there, and this is the first time I noted it, to Voidbringers. Yes. So don't know what any of that is, but putting a pin in it. So anything else for chapter three? No, but chapter four, I have four words. What are they? Kaladin tears a map. (laughs) That's pretty much what happens. That's it. (laughs) Chapter four is called The Shattered Plains. 
Um, again, we have another quote from a dying person. And this one references, uh, it says, who is that beside you with his head of lines? So they're getting more and more kind of strange. So in this chapter, we have, again, the slave caravan. They're still making their way across these unclaimed hills. And Kaladin is still kind of moping around, wallowing and talking to this strange new spren. Mm-hmm. And um, Leave me alone. <laughs> he does manage to get a hold of Tlakov's map. Say that again. Tlakov. Bring me your map, Tlakov. I got to wipe my ass. And he uh, he destroys it. And we find that Tvlakov's two mercenaries are actually too afraid of Kaladin to do much about that. Um, but despite this, the wagon reaches its ultimate destination, which they find out is... The Shattered Plains. Dun, 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 where Kaladin was wanting to go all along. Yeah, right? That is irony. That is. Yes, indeed. That is irony. So... Kaladin is hopeful at the end of this chapter that he might get to hold a spear again. I hope he doesn't tie two knives to the side of it like a dumbass. Why is that? So tell me in your best. Okay. I don't have any experience with the spear. I've spent I can tell years you. fighting with a spear. So let me tell you, it's going to get in the way of your hands. You have to have your hands have to move around the spear. That's going to get in the way. I think the knives were like up. Then it's going to be Sheathed unwieldy like and up. heavy. They're going to get knocked around when well, you. What try if you're to... really strong? Hey, I, I mean, I I was not a soldier in these war. I mean, just seems strange to me. Like, just also, saying. You know, it also seems like it would be very easy when you're in melee combat and there's kind of a standstill for somebody else to reach up, grab it, and fucking stab you with it. Well, obviously, you have to be the best spearman in the world to do that. I feel like there Obs. there may be more to his storm blessedness than, you know. I must have been blessed because I was really stupid. And I didn't die. <laughs> That's going to get annoying. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> we might have to rein that in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might. <laughs> I don't have a lot in this chapter except there's one thing that sort of caught my attention and that is that he was fighting for high lord amaram right yes and it says in here that that's the one who sold him into slavery yes hmm so okay so he was one of his men one of his you know up and coming rising stars and yet he sold him into slavery. Yes. Amaram, who reports to Sedeus, who we believe is a traitorous bastard. Yes. Okay. Just making sure I get the lay of the land there. The, that is the lay of the land. I mean, that was my chief note in this in this uh, chapter. So a couple of things that, like, again, I picked up. This is the chapter that we find out that um, high storms can be predicted sometimes. Mm, yeah. And um, there's a couple of names that are thrown out there as things that the Rosharans fear. The Stormfather, the Lost Radiance, the Voidbringers again. So they're sitting in this wagon and a high storm comes along. 
and they've got like wooden sides that they put up to protect them. But the the other slaves are afraid that the void bringers are actually in the storm. And Kaladin is speculating, are the high storms actually sentient? Like are windspren drawn to the wind or do they create the wind? So that's just a little interesting piece. And again, shows you how important these high storms are. We, and we also get a little tidbit about the Alethi laws, um, such as that slaves make wages there. So slavery, I guess, is legal, but they're required to pay them, you know, half the wages of a freeman who make even less than full citizens. But, you know, technically you're supposed to have a chance to buy your freedom. So they find that they're going to be part of this war camp now. Yeah. And that's it. We don't know what's going to happen to them next. Well, chapter five is called Heretic, and it's the last chapter that we'll go over on this podcast. Yeah. And we get to meet Jasna. Jasna. Oh. Girl does not play by the rules. She's like the rogue cop in the, the detective novel. Jasna, get your ass in my office, the lieutenant. Why am I getting reports about you running around with a goddamn ring on your hand? <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> You're off my goddamn squad, Jasna. <laughs> she totally is the sassy detective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's the Cagney of the Cagney and Lacey, which even I'm too goddamn old to get that reference. <laughs> or young, rather. In this chapter, we see Shalon finally reach and meet Jasna Colon. Uh, Jasna is in the middle of a conversation with King Taravangian of Carbranth. Hmm. The king's granddaughter has been trapped due to a cave-in, and he's asking for Jasna's help. He's asking for Jasna's help, despite the possibility of unfavorable reactions from the devotaries, who we guess is like the clergy of this world. They're not crazy about Jasna because she's a heretic. On the way to the cave-in, Jasna quizzes Shalon and finds her education lacking. She uses something called a soul caster to turn a huge rock into smoke. She ultimately also rejects Shalon's application, um, but Shalon is determined to change her mind. It's revealed that Shalon is actually there not to become her ward, but to steal that soul caster from her. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. And that's how we, you know, sort of end, end it. You know, we we set her up with the idea that her family's in this desperate situation and, you know, with debt and money. And then we end this section with finding out that her plan for solving that is to steal this soul catcher. It's called a soul catcher? Soul caster. Soul caster. Sorry. So we, it's, this is where they lay it out. So that it's not something that hippie chicks in the nineties keep above their bed. That's a dream catcher. Oh, sorry. I got it. Got so this is where we find out that yes, they have these fabrials, these machines that can do some limited magic using stormlight, mm-hmm. but that generally they're only used by ardents or by the, by the clergy. So that's part of why jasna is so controversial is because she has one and shallan also tells us while she's watching her use this that the most of the ones that are used by the ardents are imperfect like they can do one or two limited transformations but jasna's can do all sorts of things virtually turn anything into anything else so then my question becomes how stupid is this girl shallan yeah 
she's pretty stupid at this point. To think, because this is not, it's not like you're trying to like steal. I'm trying to think of what's a good example. Like, it's not like you're trying to steal like somebody's watch. It's like you're trying to steal Donald Trump's Rolex. Right. You know, or or that's not even a good example because this thing is like unique. It's like an artifact. It's like, you know, it's a one of a kind thing owned by the fucking sister of the king. You think she's not going to come hunt your ass down? How are you going to sell that, dumbass? No one's going to want that. I don't want Donald Trump's Rolex. (laughs) You're not going to sell that to me. That's her plan. As far as we know. I, I do hope that this naivete is something that is actually a part of the character and not just a dumb part of the plot. And we find out, oh, no, she's really quite, quite wise. She's book smart and incredibly wise. No, I, I think she's very talented, very book smart, very sheltered and naive. I just hope that stays kind of consistent. Well, I'm not going to give it away either way. I think you just have to keep <laughs> reading. So anyway, that 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 was you know, a little bit weird to me. But uh, the other thing, like, catch me up on all these titles. Ardents are like priests? Yes. Okay. I don't even know if that word has been used as, as far as we've read, but yes. No, it is. Ar- it's it's okay. in this chapter, yeah. Yes, the Ardents are like the priests of the Voran religion. Well, in the, in the other chapter with uh, Shalon, it also said that, you know, men don't read, do math, cook, Right. Do dishes. They just sit around and drink. What is this? Goddamn Russia? Sit around and drink vodka? <laughs> they pretty much go to war. Okay, well. They're, That's they're, pretty much what men do. There's that. Okay. She said, with the exception of the Ardents. Yes. So the Ardents are educated. And are they men, all men? No. Okay. No. Um, they also, men also, we've heard glyphs being mentioned. Yeah, a couple times, yeah. Is it glyph or glyph? I say glyph. I say glyph as well. But um, we we see Dalit telling Sen that Kaladin can read glyphs. So glyphs are like a very, very, very basic pared down form of language. Mm-hmm. They're not actually reading. They're not used to convey like complex yeah. uh, ideas. Like They're just runes. runes. Yeah. yeah. So basically... More educated men know how to read certain glyphs, but for for a man in this culture to be able to read at all is is um. I don't think that really sunk into me. Like I read it, but I don't think until we're here talking about it, it really sunk into me. And also how weird that is. And now I'm thinking, what the hell must have happened to cause? that to occur like uh, you know and i just i don't know enough yet to figure that out it's such an interesting social structure because you know in a lot of fantasy novels you know are based on sort of our medieval social structure which is women are property and men have all the power you Mm -hmm. know in this social structure it's balanced a little bit like the women are the only ones who can read or do math like 
they might be kind of married off, you know, in the nobility, but like they're needed. Like you need a wife to like read for you. Yeah. yeah. Like if you want a book to learn something, your wife has to read it to you. Um, So it's a, it's a different balance of power. They don't get their left hands, but (laughs) (laughs) how do they turn the page? Right. But I thought it was interesting. Never use a calculator. The way that they, that Brandon Sanderson subtly kind of shows us how Shalon functions with this left hand buttoned up just by saying like, you know, the, how she holds her drawing board in her safe hand and draws with her free hand. He'll yeah, just mention yeah, yeah. it a couple times. She does this, like how did, how she goes throughout her day. And for her, it just must seem totally normal. We also see how that... How does she wash her hands after she wipes her ass? Well, she doesn't wipe... Oh, God, that's a good question. Do they have like Rosharian bidets maybe? Brandon Sanderson, if you are listening, we have to know. I need to know that. <laughs> Otherwise, I am Our never women shaking just, their hand. They're just very unhygienic. I mean, I guess you technically could wash your hand. Well, I guess you... Well, you can have... take the, the other hand out of the sleeve if you're alone in the bathroom, <sighs> I guess. If you want to be dirty. Or not dirty. Metaphorically or literally. I, I imagine they, they can unbutton their modesty sleeve okay that's a relief i figured we figured it out <laughs> that was really gonna bug me uh, but we also see in in the scene where Taravangian's granddaughter is trapped that young girls don't wear the modesty sleeve because it says that she was too young for too young to even be wearing a modesty sleeve yeah that whole scene in there where she gets trapped in the rock i'm like why do you assholes live in this castle with this shit in rock you know and that I mean, it's not that important, but well, I think that I think they actually talk about it. Do they? Okay. How the mountain provides so much protection from high storms, but just but very occasionally, yeah, yeah, yeah. you get these cave-ins. You never know where there's going to be a weak vein that gets creates a cave-in, which I guess would happen. But uh, I think the city of Bells is known for being particularly safe uh, because of its formation the way yeah the way it's protected okay cool so that's that what tell just give me in a couple words what did you think what do you think so far i like it i like it i was a little concerned that i wouldn't like brandon sanderson's style of writing you know you come to this with certain expectations sometimes you know just like i really expected you know, certain things when we got to the gentleman bastards, I had a kind of a preconceived notion about what I would receive. And I got some of that, but some of it I didn't. Based on like conversations we've had about Brander Sanderson, Brand Brandor and his older brother. That's um, his new name. <laughs> Brandor. So based on conversations we've had, you know, I came to it with a with an idea about what his writing would be like. And I had a little bit of trepidation that I wouldn't like it, and particularly his characters. And we're not really far enough in to completely have dispelled that fear, but I think overall, I think I'm going to like it more than I thought I would like it. Well, and I will say to you, you know, the first time I tried to read this series, I got halfway through Way of Kings. And like I said, read it too fast, did not give it a chance and put it down halfway through, which I almost never do. 
I kept hearing people whose opinions I respected really loving this book. So when I gave it a chance the second time, I took my time through it. Yeah. And again, like I said, definitely picked up a lot more. And I think if you skimmed kind of through, you see these like almost archetypal characters and you're you're like they're they're cardboard, they're not going to be interesting. You really got to give it time. The the characters do build a little more slowly, but it, it was, you know, now obviously I'm you're hooked. Fully on board. Yeah. Fully on board with this series. The, the other thing I liked is that there there's a lot here. Like, there's just a lot to talk about, particularly in the world building. You know, which I love King Killer Chronicle. Like, when we did King Killer Chronicle, that, see, again, expectations. That was one that I thought I, I didn't have high hopes for. I didn't think it was going to be bad. I just, it didn't you know, based on judging it strictly by the cover and what I'd heard, I just didn't have high hopes for it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. But one of the things that was difficult early on is that the world building is so drips and drabs, you know, um, where that is not what we get here. Now, I hope it doesn't turn into some of the stuff we have with Robert Jordan where it's like, world building for the sake of it, you know, and describing every single thing that every single person wears all the time, whether it matters or not. Those Terrans and their conical hats. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem like we're going to, we're going to get that, but I, but I really like the world building so far. It seems like everything has a place and a purpose. And that is the kind of writing and world building that I really like. So, so far I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about it. I think, I think, uh, I think I'm going to dig it. Awesome. Do we have listener interactions? We have listener interactions out the wazoo. Yes. Those are the best kind. So, <laughs> right in the wazoo. <laughs> right. You know, uh, because it's been three weeks since we podcasted last we frankly have more than we could really get into, but there are some that I would I would like to read and get into. We will we will get into a handful of it. So some of you are going to get left out, and I apologize for that. It's not uh, it's not an intentional thing, but uh, we still love you. We do still love you. Yeah, we do. I promise. So Nathan Hernandez on Twitter, who is at Animation Nathan, says. Do you recommend the audiobook or the regular book? And I thought this was a worthwhile conversation to have because I've heard two distinctly different opinions about the audiobook. And I I think it's because there's two different versions. Interesting. Yes, the one person that I have talked to has said the audiobook was terrible. And that was Megan, right? That was Tina. It was Tina. Tina told us it was okay. Mm. I Got a clip, oh, and I I got a clip, and I I think it was um, from Adam at LFC Adam 88185, and I'm, it's so far back now that I'm struggling to kind of get to it, but he was saying there's a, there's a word for it that, that stumps me, but essentially, it's an audio book that instead of just reading it, there's 
like there's foley work there's music in the background there's you can hear in the battles there's you know is this a newer version i i think it is a newer version and he he gave he he made like a little short audio clip it sounded really good so that sounded like it was pretty damn awesome well that's cool and i know that i believe that there is something in the works to go with the audiobook where there's like some Brandon Sanderson's involved in some sort of VR, um, mm. creating a, a, a VR environment based on Roshar. Wow. Okay. Which would be really cool. And wouldn't it be awesome if that was the future of audiobooks? Like, yeah, that would be. So it would be, yeah, that would be helpful if you, listeners who are using the audiobook could chime in on that. Uh, is there a better version? Are you enjoying it? Um, I, I don't generally do audiobooks because that doesn't work with my routine. Yeah, we're not we're not folks who use the audiobooks, so we really need your input and, and we need you guys to help out your your fellows and say what what is the good one to listen to. Uh also Adam at LFC Adam eighty eight one eight five said the audiobook pronounces it sin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just like that hard C. I can't help it. All right. So he says, I, I found the, the entry. He says, fun fact, I've been comboing, reading, and listening to it through a, quote, graphic audio audiobook with sound effects, full voice cast. Very fun, he says. And he gives me a snippet of it to listen to. So graphic audiobook is what it's called. Well, that's cool. I yeah. could almost get behind that. Theo at uh, the OGB on Twitter says, uh, I can already see the first name casualty of the Stormlight Archive, and he accurately predicted <laughs> Did he? that we would fight over whether it was Sen or Ken. <laughs> he says he feels like Brandon Sanderson's more of a Ken dude. I would think he was. Well, he's he's still quite young then, apparently. Uh, Theo also shows us some artwork for the the cover in the UK, which is really cool. I really like the cover art of the version that he has. It's, the one we have is this very, like, epic, heavily saturated, like, landscape, you know, whereas this one's more like a pencil sketch with a limited color palette, but it's really cool. I like it. I tend it. to prefer the UK covers. Yeah. I'm always a little jealous of Bastards. their covers. Well, we have better food, so, you know. And apparently better eels. No, our eels are freaky. Oh, we have the worst eels. That's right. We have right. the worst eels ever, but they are yummy. So Kevin Pfeiffer, who is at Kevin Pfeiffer, says, I'm reading along with your Wise Man Fear series now. The Tom Waits reference at the end of episode 14 had me smiling from ear to ear. So there you go. Somebody paid off. A year later, (laughs) somebody got the joke. It had to happen eventually. I was very happy. (laughs) A year from now, if Kevin ever gets to it, thank you. I appreciate it. There was some talk about dream casting for Shallon, but I'm not going to get into it. We'll do our dream casting at the end. We do our dream casting at the end. Just saying, Mina Sunwal. Okay, I mean we we have our opinions, but you know, highly opinionated about that. 
Ian at uh, Ian James Crone at Ian Crone on Twitter says, kind of interesting that both Vampire the Masquerade and the Weekly World News were brought up last episode. I used to use Weekly World News stories as inspiration for the vampire game what? that I ran. <laughs> That's some Twilight Zone shit right, <laughs> right? there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's some Elodin. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, wow. Um, he also says, will you guys cover Saga since Paper Girls is a no-go till December? And I, I think we will. Oh, yeah. I Mo- think at yeah. some point we're going to have to talk about Saga. Right now we have all the trade paperbacks current except for the first one, which it's around here somewhere, but I haven't found it yet. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that we will probably cover Saga. If, if anybody is new joining us here, we do occasionally take a break and throw a one-off in for a show or a graphic novel or something like that to break this up. Though for the most part, our primary focus, you know, from now until the end of Way of Kings, you know, at least 80% of the content will be Way of Kings. Nathan Hernandez says, I just finished uh, Scott Lynch's Republic of Thieves. And now what am I supposed to do with my life? Uh, read Way of Kings. Hello, we're right here. <laughs> we're waiting for you. Jive, dive into the deep end with us. Brooks uh, Philippin, that's B-R-O-O-K-S-F-I-L-I-P-P-I-N-2, says, I feel like you know exactly what books I'm reading and start a personal podcast for me. So thanks. How did you know? Uh, listen, all I'm saying is when you throw the trash out on the curb... It's no longer private property, and I can go through it if I want to. <laughs> and so that is our listener interaction for the last three or so weeks. I do have a question for you, though. Yes. We do this every once in a while, and I haven't asked you this for a while, but I'm going to throw it out. What is the Duchess reading now? Oh, dang. I'm glad you asked. I was actually thinking about that, that we hadn't done that in a while. So listen, I want to frame it up just a little bit here for people who are new. So Liz reads 47 books a week. (laughs) I mean, authors across the world cannot produce enough (laughs) written content to keep this woman satisfied. So at any given time, she's reading five books at once. And we always like to kind of, you know, for those of you who who are of a similar vein, you know, to give you some ideas. Well, people ask us a lot for book recommendations. We do. do. And and I enjoy book recommendations as well because it is hard to keep up. But so we were on vacation recently at the beach for 10 days. So I did get to read quite a bit. So I read... um, one that I've been kind of putting off reading called the Warded Man series by Peter V. Brett. And I had heard people say it's really good when it starts out, but then it falls apart at the end. So I I had put off reading it and I finally just did it. I did not think it fell apart at the end. I really enjoyed the series. I would say like four stars for me. Really engaging characters, nice world building. I really liked it. Um, another one I read. It's called The Warded Man. The Warded Man. Um, it's a series. It's, I don't know, four or five books, something like that. 
There's another one that I read called The Darkest Part of the Forest. All right. That was really good as well. A nice kind of light read, more of an uh, contemporary, like urban fantasy. I know where the darkest part of the forest is. I don't need to say it. You don't. We all know where I'm going. Who Who is it by? Holly Black. Um, probably though my favorite book that I read in the last week or so was- um, You read three books no. in 10 days plus reading for the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> my favorite so far that I have read was um, a new book by Naomi Novik, and she is the author of the Temeraire series, who I've told you about, the, the one about the dragons and Napoleon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, she wrote another book that I really loved called Uprooted. This was a standalone novel. It is my absolute favorite by her. I loved it to pieces. It's called Spinning Silver. So um, it's sort of a... Wait a minute, I, I misunderstood. Is it called Uprooted or Spinning it's Silver? It's called Spinning Silver is her new one. But I'm trying to think of a fair way to describe it. It's it's sort of a retelling of the Rumpelstiltskin myth, but not really. Mm. I mean, it's, it's so well done. It's one of those books that I, I closed it and I wanted to open it up and read it all again. And in fact, I wow. went through and read the first chapter again. That's how much wow. I liked it. So strong recommendation there for Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Good, good. I actually have one I've been reading as well. Oh, lay it on me. So I found that as a part of doing this podcast, I have to have two things to read because we get done with reading for the podcast and then I can't go on mm-hmm. because I have to remain unspoiled. So I have to keep two books at once. So I just finished not too long ago uh, the first trilogy for the Glenn Cook's Black Company, which was one that I tried to read years ago and couldn't make it past like the first 50 pages. I was like, screw this. But I got I made it through it and I really enjoyed it. But now I'm reading The Armageddon Rag by George R. R. Martin. It was the last fantasy novel that he wrote. I guess it's a fantasy novel that he wrote prior to A Song of Ice and Fire. And how is it? Well, I'm only like seven or eight chapters in so far, and it's it's very different from what you would expect from a George R. R. Martin. It's set in 1981 hmm. in like our time, like our world, 1981. And so I haven't quite gotten into it yet well enough to to be able to tell you. But it, but you can tell that his writing has matured tremendously. And it's very unusual to read George R. Martin, George R. Martin not in a fantasy setting, you know, to read him in sort of a modern day setting where he doesn't have to build, you know, do all that world building work. It, it's a, it's a different thing. So I, I don't have a definitive opinion yet to tell you, read it, don't read it. If you're somebody who's really into George R. R. Martin, it's a short book. It's, so far it's been pretty quick. I've only, I only just started it. I think you would probably want to read it, but I, I'll hold my opinion for when I get at least, at least closer to the end of the book. Cool. 
So that's it. We have reached the end of episode 58. That's it, guys. Catch up with us next week, episode 59. We'll be doing chapters 6 through 11 of Way of Kings. That's right. And just looking into the future, we're looking at about a 15-episode arc to cover this book, Mm -hmm. give or take. Yeah, so that's works out to, I think we said, about 60 pages per episode. Again, as a rule of thumb, about 60 pages, which that's about what we did for Wise Man's Fear, and I feel like that was a good, I feel like that was a good pace for us. Right, so we are missing one very important part of the podcast. Oh my God, what? Your predictions. What do you think is going to happen? Oh my goodness. I can't believe we made it this far without without doing predictions. Okay, I do have several predictions. I don't know how smart any of them will be. But I'll try. Okay. So I think they're almost all of them are about Kaladin. So first, I think what happens at the end of chapter one is that they capture him, ransom him back to Araram, and then ostensibly Araram sells him into slavery as a penalty for failing. But there's we're going to find out later there's more to this. So I think at first we're going to find out that, and then later we're going to find out it's out of some sort of jealousy or fear or some something else political going on tied to him. Maybe they were afraid that he was going to be too much of a hero and take thunder away from them, something. But we'll learn kind of more about that as we go on. So that's kind of my prediction number one. My prediction number two is that he's going to end up, by the end of the series, being some sort of crazy wizard magic user, whatever that, whatever the term for it in this world is going to be. Ninja rock star sex god wizard? Exactly, yes, absolutely. And the fact of him being a dark eye, a dark-eyed magic user, is going to be highly problematic uh, for the Voran elite and the religious class. Uh, my next prediction is that race is going to be a major theme in the series. Mm-hmm. Also, I think this list that Kaladin goes through about all the people who have died around him, he talks about all the men who have died fighting with him, but this girl that he references is going to be something different entirely. And I think that it's her death that leads to him joining the army. And then my last prediction is that the stone that Gavilar gives to Seth is filled with the void. Hmm. So those are my predictions. Those are some good predictions. You got to listen to the end if you want to get the cool predictions. All right. You can find us on our website at thedukeandduchesspodcast.com. Look for us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D is in David, N is in Nancy, D is in David Podcast. Also on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Our Facebook group page is facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. And announcement we now have an Instagram account. So you can check out our Instagram account at the Duke and Duchess Podcast. 
that's the name of the Instagram tag. And we're just kind of getting that up and running. So there's not a lot of content there. It Honestly, it took me a while to try to figure out what the hell is a podcast, an audio medium going to do on Instagram. But I've come up with some ideas. So I'll be putting uh, more stuff up over there as time goes on. So check us out there. Come join our Instagram page. And if you have questions or if you need advice, if you're having problems in your fantastic or or fantasy love life, if you need to know how to discipline your children or what kind of rate you should expect on your mortgage, you can ask the Duchess by emailing Dear Duchess at advice at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. So come hang out with us. We're lonely. <laughs> That's why we do this. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night.